like to ask for you to turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. While you're turning, I'd like to remind you, and uh, this is a really, really good thing to do. I think there's not a day that goes by that something doesn't remind us of the perilous times that we heard preached about this past week. And so uh, I want to just try to help us kind of get it drilled into our minds what we need to do whenever we're reminded of those perilous times. It might be a news uh, broadcast. It might be something that you run into at Walmart. I mean, there's just crazy things going on every time we turn around. And uh, always go, in fact, this is what I've been doing. Whenever I see something like that that just kind of frustrates me, I just remind myself of those five points that we've been focusing on this past week. Number one, let him lead. Number two, say it out loud with me, learn the Bible. Number three, let's do a little bit better on this one, labor for souls. Number four, look for his return. And number five, yeah, that's pretty, pretty sad, pretty pitiful, terrible. Let's do this again, all right? Are we ready now? I got you refreshed here. Number one, let him lead. Number two, learn the Bible. Number three, labor for souls. Number four, look for his return. Number six, number six, I'm just seeing if y'all are paying attention. I'm going to try to get y'all woke up here this morning. I'm not doing a very good job of it. All right, 2 Samuel, chapter number 23. This is what preachers uh, kind of affectionately call a springboard text. I won't specifically be preaching out of this particular verse, but it does set the table for the message that I do want to bring to you here today. This is a little bit different message. In fact, really, we don't get to the message until we get to point number three. But uh, please, uh, point number one and point number two and everything that we say is going to be leading up to the point that I believe is so, so important today. And when we get there, I think that you will understand and agree with me. Second Samuel 23, David says in verse number three, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. What did he speak to David and say? He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, who's the boss? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the privilege to be in church today, the songs that have been sung. Lord, glory to your name. God, what a great song to sing. Thank you for the ladies and the special music that they brought to us that touched our hearts and reminded us of uh, just those special truths that we need to understand and, Lord, to, to draw our hearts closer to you. We pray now that the Holy Spirit would help us today. God, uh, let your word be honored and glorified. Uh, help me to truly, uh, as I stand behind this pulpit, to be uh, a man of God, not a man of the people, and not a man of the ministry, but a man of God. I pray, God, that you'd give us boldness, give us compassion, give us clarity. I pray, Father, that the truth presented today would be clear and understood, and God, that the Holy Spirit would take and use it to help uh, your people today, and perhaps maybe something would be said that would touch a heart, bring conviction. Lord, perhaps someone would get saved. Perhaps someone would see your goodness and get right with God. You said the goodness of God leads us to repentance. God, we pray that you'd be honored and glorified, and we certainly not only invite the presence of the Holy Spirit here today, but we confess to you that we are utterly dependent upon you doing the work in our hearts, because without you, God, nothing of any eternal value will be accomplished today. And God, we need you, and we pray, God, that you would bless. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Who's the boss? I want to remind you, by way of introduction, that God is a God of order and authority. We find in the Scripture that God commands and instructs that children should obey their parents, that they should honor their father and mother, 
And as Brother Spurgeon reminded us a few days ago, this is the first commandment with promise. I also want to remind you that husbands and fathers are commanded to love and to lead their family. Gentlemen, it is God-ordained responsibility that he placed upon you to be the spiritual leader of your home. You know, nowadays it is rare to find a Christian home where in reality the husband or the father is truly the head of the home. It's rare, and it ought to be the norm. And so I remind you, men, if you are not taking the spiritual lead of your home, then you need to let the Holy Spirit light a fire you know where and get busy being the leader. Be out front. Be out ahead. Be the one that's being diligent. Be the one that is managing and reminding and exhorting and encouraging your family to serve the Lord. I think of what Joshua said. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, no father and no husband can make their family worship the Lord. Worship comes from the heart. And I encourage all of us as God's people to worship the Lord, to give Him our heart. I cannot control anyone's heart. But I can say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Bible teaches that wives should submit to their husbands. I'm not even going to give that uh, the, the, uh, the, the, what's the word? I'm not going to patronize that with humor and pretend to hide behind the pulpit like somebody's going to throw a rock at me or something. I know some, probably some preachers in this day and age, they feel like that. Like it's some kind of taboo doctrine. It's not. It's not old-fashioned. It's not outdated. It's what the Bible clearly, plainly says, and God has never sent out a memo that, oh, I I changed my mind on that. And so I don't care. Listen, you're not going to hear that from the mainstream media. In fact, the mainstream media, Oprah and The View and the public education system, and you go on down the line, when you say that, they're going to scoff at you. They're going to mock you for believing that principle. But I submit that our society and culture is so dysfunctional and out of God-ordained order, and that is at the root, at the heart of the many, many problems that we face in these perilous times. The Bible says that citizens should be subject to government. I don't like a lot of things about our government today. I think there's just a bunch of things that are going on that there's no accountability. There's a bunch of nonsense. The laws are not being upheld. I mean, we've got a a leader in Washington, D.C. that is making executive orders that totally bypass the system that our founding fathers ordained, and, and it is without any regard to half the nation that opposes him. And you know, the same people that for the previous four years were whining and complaining and saying, you're destroying our democracy. Listen, if if you're keeping score, what's going on in the first 60-some days has been five times worse than anything that the predecessor was accused of. It ain't right. But you know what? I have a book here that God says I'm supposed to be subject to him. Hey, how about this one? Church members are supposed to obey their pastor. I might duck behind the pulpit on that one. <laughs> but it's what the book says. Obey them that have the rule over you. And I think that anyone that's been around here any length of time, I hope that you know that uh, that isn't one that I uh, I <laughs> beat my chest and pull out all the time. I just tell you what God says. And you know what? Uh, A pastor has no control over uh, the um, subordination of his subjects, but all he can do is just be trustworthy and try to be a good leader. And then tell you what God says that you're supposed to do. But let me say this, authority and submission is all about responsibility 
not about control. Being the boss is not about getting your own way. It's about making the decisions and doing the things that are best for your subjects, whoever they may be. And so I want to take uh, point number one. I want to say, what makes a good ruler? Because the term ruler, when we find it in the Scripture, it is almost always a reference to a king. Now, the idea of a king is somewhat foreign to the United States of America. We are a republic, and we don't have a monarchy. In fact, they wanted to make George Washington king, and George Washington refused. He said, look, if you make me king within just a few years, we're going to have the same problems here as what we fought, bled, and died for with what was going on across the ocean. He knew and he understood that. We are a republic. And by the way, we are not a democracy. They can say it all that they want, but we have a democratic form of election. We have representation through a democratic system, but we are not a democracy. We are a republic. A nation of laws, not a nation of majority. And wouldn't you agree that that's what we see going on even really the previous four years? It's like whoever's in control gets their way without any uh, any uh, thought toward what the opposition thinks. That's not true benevolent representation. Now listen, when it comes to moral issues such as abortion... Abortion is wickedness. I don't care what half the nation or I don't care if 90% of the nation believed in abortion. If I had anything to do with it as a leader, I would outlaw it and anybody that performed an abortion, they would be treated as murderers. But I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. And so I think as citizens who we do have the privilege of voting... Uh, we do have the privilege of being involved in our government. We ought to do what we can to try to make a difference for the protection of unborn lives, for the sanctity of God-ordained marriage and sexuality and genders and whatever the new nonsense is going to be tomorrow because there's new nonsense coming, I guarantee you. But a ruler was a king. And a ruler is a leader, and you know what? There are countless books and seminars that will teach you what makes a good leader. I'm just going to give you a sample of them quickly here this morning. Number one, a good ruler leads himself first. Father, husband, you want to be a good leader over your family? Lead yourself first. And then you might command the respect to where you don't have to beat your chest You don't have to remind your wife that you're the boss. You don't have to remind your children that you're in charge. You lead yourself, and then when you try to lead your subjects, there will be some power, some authority behind your leadership and direction, your words, so to speak. Number two, a good ruler is always in charge. He is in control, but he is not a control freak. He is authoritative, but he is not authoritarian. A good leader takes charge because he knows that God has entrusted him with that authority. Number three, a good ruler, a good leader is diligent. Romans 12, verse number 8 says, He that exhorteth to wait on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. Diligence is simply doing whatever it takes to get the job done and getting it done right and in time. That's what diligence is all about. I remember back in my early days, uh, my early days, (laughs) where did I get that from? I I remember when I was younger and uh, Sister Lynn and I were not married yet and I was working so hard to get to the point where uh, we could uh, get married. And uh, the biggest obstacle that we had was finances. And I'm I'm in Bible Institute. I'm a young preacher. I'm involved in all kinds of ministries. It's the mid-80s, and we're in the Asheville area. And 
Listen, the only really good jobs that were available were all second shift factory jobs. And I had opportunities to get a job that would make enough money to where we could get married. But second shift, I just said, no, Lord, I am putting you first. I've got ministries. I've got Bible Institute. I've got this. I've got that. That would take me out of that. So I'm just going to wait and trust you, God, to take care of it. And I'm going to put you first. And you know what? God did. I had to wait a while, but it sure was better with God's blessings. But you know what? I would get so tired. And back in my, what did I call it, my early days? Back in my early days, we had to walk in the snow barefoot. No. I could sleep back then. Any of you... uh People with early days remember back when you could sleep. I, I don't sleep in, you know, I, I get up uh, pretty much uh, the same time every morning. It doesn't matter if I get to bed at 12, 1, or 2. It's just I, I can't sleep in even when my body needs to sleep in. But back then I could. And there were several times where I'm working so hard that I would get so tired that I wouldn't even remember hitting that snooze button five times, and I'd end up late for work. You know what I did? I took the alarm clock, and I moved it across the room so that when it went off, I had to get out of bed and hit the snooze button and then get back in bed. You know, I was almost late one time. I got to where I could go get back in bed and still fall asleep. just weird. But you know what I did? That was just some kind of little dumb idea, but it was a way to be diligent. Do whatever it takes to get the job done and get it done right. A good leader is diligent. Number four, a good ruler knows his subject. I'm reminded, I think it was Marie Antoinette that uh, was queen, and they told her, they said, the, the, the people have no bread to eat. And she said, well, let them eat cake. You know, she was royalty and aristocracy, and she couldn't even relate to her subjects. She thought, well, if they don't have bread, let them eat cake, because that's what she would have done. She had privilege and so forth. And let me tell you something, too. I, don't, I didn't mean to be all political today, but socialism leads to that right there, where the people that are in charge, they live lavish lifestyles, and they don't have to obey the rules but they tax their people to death and they put more rules and restrictions on them. And the devil is doing everything he can to get rid of the middle class. And um, you know what? I, I don't have any choice of the matter. I'm not going to send my stimulus check back. But you know what? All of these trillions of dollars that are just being handed out to the people, somebody's got to pay for it. And so under the guise of COVID and bailing out people that are hurting and so forth, the devil's subtly just going to have to raise taxes, cause inflation, and all of it's doing is just chipping away at the middle class. Socialism. Used to be that people that were for it would kind of disguise it, not anymore. But that's where we're headed, folks, and that's where the devil wants us to be. And so we need to recognize that fact, and we need to know a good leader knows the people, their nature, their personalities, their quirks, their strengths, their weaknesses. A good leader knows his subjects. Number two, I want to talk about how to behave toward a king. Well, first of all, a king should be feared and respected. Remember the Bible story about Esther and how that Esther, she's the queen and she is highly favored by the king. And yet she wanted to go before the king and she wasn't called to come before the king. And she had to hope and pray that the king would hold out the golden scepter because if she intruded in the court without being invited and it irritated the king and he did not hold out the golden scepter... Even the queen was not exempt from punishment. And you know what that punishment was? Capital punishment. Just for showing up uninvited? 
Isn't that hard for us to relate to? Well, let me tell you something. A king with authority, uh, it wasn't a matter to be taken lightly. The king was supposed to be feared and respected. God tells us in Exodus 22, verse number 28, Thou shalt not revile the gods. Notice the little g. That's not talking about Zeus and all of these Greek gods. The little g gods is talking about rulers and leaders, people that are in authority. Nor curse the ruler of thy people. That's what God says to his people under the law. And, of course, Paul quoted that in the book of Acts, and he said, It is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And so I don't have to agree with the leaders and rulers of our people, but uh, I try to refrain. I don't always do a good job of it, but I try to refrain from a bunch of uh, name-calling and um, scorning and remarks that are belittling toward the leaders. Now, you can probably find a CD or two or three or maybe even ten where I've done it in the past. But that doesn't make it right, folks. And so uh, I do know what the Word of God says, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, How about it, bud? Doesn't matter how wrong they are. Uh, we don't have... Listen, I, I, I look at our current president, and I have to be honest, I am very, very concerned about his cognizance and his competency. But I don't think that it was productive or helpful or incurred the blessings of God to refer to him as Sleepy Joe. Listen, it's just not, it's not productive. It's not helpful. In fact, it totally takes the attention off of what the attention needs to be on. Hey, we ought to be concerned. And instead of invoking our followers to be concerned for rightful reasons, all of a sudden now it becomes a personality conflict and it's like you're, you're, you're witnessing two kids in the schoolyard. Oh yeah, well, I know I am, but what are you? I didn't say that right either. But back in my early days, I said it right. (laughs) All right, let me move on here. Number two, no talking back or questioning. Remember how Abraham treated the Lord when he was trying to plead for Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but this once. Oh, oh, okay, that one wasn't enough. 30 wasn't enough. 20 wasn't enough. Oh, let me just speak one more time. You remember how... Abraham was just, he knew he was treading on thin ice and he was so careful to be respectful. Remember how Daniel was when Nebuchadnezzar, when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream about the the tree being cut off and so forth and Daniel interpreted it that, hey, you're getting ready to lose your mind, king. I mean, you're going to be wallowing around out there in the pasture like a beast and You know what Daniel said? He prefaced it with, he said, the interpretation be upon thy enemies, O king. He was careful. He was respectful. He was fearful. Proverbs 16, verse number 14 says, the wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. A king is not to be questioned, not to be talked back to. Number three, to behave towards a king, there should be submission. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Listen, if you have to hold your nose to respect and follow the laws of our land, then hold your nose, but remember, you're not doing it for anyone's sake other than the Lord's. And you know what? If you'll do it for the Lord's sake, then you'll just you'll feel better about it. When you pay your taxes and you do it for the Lord's sake, you'll just feel better about it. If you're doing it for our country's sake, that's kind of hard to feel good about it, isn't it? Because we know what our taxes are probably going to go to, something that there's no way that our tax money should go for it. But I probably ought not camp on that anymore. You do it for the Lord's sake, and it'll make you feel better about it. 1 Peter 5, verse number 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Now, listen, 
I realize that this is talking, the elder is talking about the pastor, the man of God. I understand that. But there is a reason, I believe, that the Holy Spirit refers to that position as an elder and those that are submitting to the younger because there is still, in God's eyes, the idea that young people ought to respect older people. How many of, excuse me, how many of you are below the age of 20? Below 20. Stand up, please. Well, look at all these young people. What a joy. Listen, I don't care what your buddies and friends do at school. Elders, teachers, pastors, doesn't matter if it's a Sunday school teacher, police officers, parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, God wants you to respect your elders. Not sass them, not backtalk to them. You show them respect because that's what God wants you to do. Thank you, young people. You may be seated. You don't hear much preaching on submission these days, (laughs) except for by frustrated pastors. You ever notice that? I've heard this. And you know, this is what is such a joy, is that I can make these statements today and hopefully tomorrow, and it's preventative, not remedial. I I, I don't know. uh, I don't know of anything that needs corrected. To my knowledge, we have a lot of that good spirit and submission to authority here at Temple Baptist Church, and I hope by the grace of God that continues. I don't have to preach that in frustration or correction. But you know, it's not preached on very much today because uh, unless it's by pastors that are just frustrated because their flock is just kicking and screaming and headbutting everything that they do. It's a shame. And you know what's at the root of some of that? Why that is? Well, I'm going to give you a quote that's not from the Bible, but I'll tell you what, this is as true as it comes. Are you ready for it? You'll never be over what God has put under you until you get under what God has put over you. You know, there, there, are, there are men that come home and it's like, I'm the man of the house, you need to obey me. And then they sit around the table and they hear you talking about the pastor and, and, and what a, a doofus he is. And I can't believe he's doing that. I just ain't doing it. And then they expect their children and their wives to respect their authority. You know what? If we don't follow authority that God has ordained, we will never have authority. You may have the position, but having the position of authority does not give you any authority that is of value in your leadership. And so these are some ways that we need to behave towards a king. I've talked about what makes a good ruler. I've talked about how we need to behave and treat a ruler. That's point number one. That's point number two. But here is the message. I want to talk number three about your kingdom. Your kingdom. You're like, hmm, I have a kingdom? What are we talking about here? Oh, I know what you're talking about. The millennial reign of Christ, right? If we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. That's not what I'm talking about. Oh, you're talking about my home. Uh, Nope, that's not what I'm talking about. Take your Bibles, go to Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25. Remember, this is the message today. And this is greatly needed because we are living in a day and age where very few people are good kings over their kingdom. Verse number 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What do you mean by our spirit, preacher? Well, your spirit includes the following, and probably then some. It means your thoughts, 
what's going on in your mind. It means your feelings. It means your mood. It means your attitude. You know, no one likes to be told what to do. Brother Spurgeon pointed that out. And really, if we would all be honest, we don't like being told what to do. I I grew up, my dad was a truck driver when I was real young. He wasn't home very often. Uh, My mom would work um, a part-time job. And so uh, I had a mother and then I had three older sisters. My youngest sister was five years older than me, and then seven, uh, my middle sister, seven, and my older sister, nine. And so I was the baby of the family, and always around women. I should get a little pity over that. And... Um, My wife will vouch for me on this. I do not like to be told what to do by a woman. Hey, man. Wave your hand, testify, sister. I don't. And and bless, you ought to pray for my wife because sometimes she'll, she carefully, I want to word it just right, just so, and it's just, it's just a quirky thing about me. But I don't like being told to do by a woman. The reality of it is, is down deep, most of us don't want anybody telling us what to do. Well, you can ask me and I'll do, but no, there's times when people that are the boss need to just tell you what to do and you just, you just do it. Even if they weren't nice or kind, if they have the authority, then listen, nobody likes being told what to do, but wouldn't you agree that so often what happens is you let your thoughts, your feelings, your moods, and your attitudes, you let them grab you by the ear and pull you all around your life. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And yet, the boss of you is your spirit, rather than you ruling over your spirit. Now this battle, remember our, our text there says that he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. If you were living in Bible times or in medieval times when feudalism, listen, you didn't have the government or the military or police officers to protect you. It, it was whoever was the strongest would win. And so they would fortify their cities with walls. Remember Jericho? Jericho was a huge fortress of a city. No match for God. But without God's intervention, it is very likely that the children of Israel wouldn't have stood a chance against Jericho. When we don't rule over our spirit, we are a city that's broken down without walls. Our defenses are gone. The battle between our ears, the battle in our heart and our feelings, there is overwhelming thoughts, obsessions, if you will. I mean, sometimes we get something in our mind and it just spins around and around. We don't, we try to stop, but boy, we just get obsessed with some kind of a thought. How about fears and anxieties? You know, the Bible says in the last days, men's Hearts will be failing them for fear. It is part of our culture. We have security systems. We have all kinds of technology to protect us, and yet we are more fearful and more anxious than we've ever been. Insecurities. Insecurities. We're afraid that we're going to lose something. You know what? We probably have more insecurities than any other country on this planet and any other generation. Why? Because we have so much. God is blessed. We have, we have a lot of affluency. We have a lot of possessions. We have a lot of good things. And that means that we have more to lose. And with that comes more insecurities. We worry about losing the things that we have. How about anger? And bitterness. You know, social media is supposed to make us more social. 
How's that working for us, folks? Facebook should be renamed to Feudbook. Farcebook. Social media and technology and all of the communications. I heard a preacher say, he said, when I go to a special meeting, he said, uh, I only, I make it a point just to talk for about 15 minutes and then I go home, I move on. Because after 15 minutes, the conversation always spirals downhill. Hey, didn't Solomon warn us? Didn't he say in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin? We have more anger and bitterness because there's so many words that are spoken. There's so many sources of hurt. And then, hey, how about depression? Depression. I would not ask for a raise of hands, but I guarantee you that probably most everyone in the congregation would say, you know what, I I have to battle depression from time to time. And uh, I I want you to know you're not alone. You know C.H. Spurgeon battled depression? You know, some great preachers and some great Christians had overwhelming battles with depression. Some of you here today, some of you listening, you have overwhelming battles with depression. But no one is exempt from that. We think about the causes of these battles in our minds, in our feelings, in our moods, in our attitudes. And, you know, one of the big causes would be childhood trauma or neglect. You know, we don't have the biblical home that God intends for us to do. Sometimes you have trauma that happens because children are not being watched over and protected like they ought to. What do we do in modern culture today? Stick them in front of Disney Channel. Give them a game to play. Go to work and send them to grandma and grandpa. Let grandma raise them. And we have people at daycare that spend more time with our children than we do. And then when we do have time, we're tired because we've been out there working and battling. I'm talking about mamas here. We don't have that biblical home. Mamas aren't raising their children. Mamas are having to provide the living. I'm not preaching against working mothers here. But I am trying to give you some wisdom that God established it for a reason because it, it helps. It works. Neglect. Boy, so many ways we struggle with those things because of being neglected. It doesn't mean that we were abused or some horrible thing happened to us. Sometimes it's just children are left to themselves. And they have to deal with life pressures and taking care of themselves at an age when they are not emotionally mature enough to handle it. And so they mature in one area in life, but they are, um, they are, are, what's the word? Challenged. They are slower in another area. And so they're dealing with life and inside of their mind, it's like they, there's just this struggle going on between part of them that's matured beyond their years and part of them that hasn't matured it at all in certain areas. Hey, how about spiritual warfare? You do remember that there is a real devil out there. And that his devils, they whisper thoughts and they give us moods and spirits. Saul, the Bible says, that the Spirit of God departed from him and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. That's something going on in the invisible world. Hey, I've had times, folks, where I've woke up in the morning without anything to cause my mood or my spirit, and I've just woke up with being fixated on something that I ought not be fixated on, a negative attitude, a foul spirit, a temptation. And you just think, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from, the invisible realm around us. We have to battle that. Then I want to also mention this. There are physiological problems, folks. Blood sugar issues, thyroid issues, chemical imbalances. Sometimes our spirits are affected by the medicines that we take. 
And listen, I am not going to pretend that I am an expert in this area, but I do know from experience that there are some people that battle and struggle that need to get some medication. And they don't, or they won't. And then there are others that the answer is just pop a pill, and they don't need to pop a pill, they just need to figure out what God's Word says and make some changes in their life. Or their diet. Or spend time in the Word of God, or something. You know, there are, there are some people that the only answer is medicine. I don't know what your situation is. Now, I wouldn't pretend to know. But keep in mind that there are physiological problems. And then there are sometimes that the causes of this battle that we face in our spirit, that it's a combination of all. And sometimes it gets very complicated. We have stuff from our childhood or guilt from the past or we have spiritual warfare and then maybe we don't have a major physiological problem. Maybe it's just a little one, but then you add all these other things and it just snowballs. And listen, there is something that's always trying to keep us vulnerable and messed up in our spirit. And by the way, if your spirit's messed up, your life will be messed up. It'll affect everything. Our spirit affects everything around us. It affects our home, our family. It affects our workplace. It affects our relationship with God. Everything is affected by our spirit. And before I get to the conclusion this morning, let me say this. My goal here today is not to counsel you in your mental, emotional, and spiritual issues. But rather, I simply want to demonstrate that God has put you in charge of your spirit. He has given you the authority to lead your spirit, not keep you in the dark and in foolishness and saying that, well, you are bound to follow your spirit. No, God says lead it. People say, well, follow your heart. No, the Word of God teaches, lead your heart. Lead your spirit. Your spirit will want to affect everything that you do. But as a Christian, as a child of God, God has entrusted us to do everything we can to affect our spirit. Doesn't the Bible say, commit your works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established? That's not the answer, but it's an answer. You know, in this, in, in, in battle, in protecting a city, it's multifaceted. There isn't just one way that we win in battle. You've got ground troops, and you've got arsenal, and you've got strategy, and you've got counterintelligence, and all of those things. And one simple tool that God says is commit your works to the Lord. There are many people that have emotional and mental struggles. If they just get busy for God, they'd find, I don't even have time to worry about all these things. You would find relief from your depression just simply by getting outside of your thoughts and replacing them with good things of serving the Lord and ministering to others. I'm not trying to counsel you. I'm just telling you that you are in charge of your spirit. It's your kingdom. And you have the responsibility to rule it even when you don't understand it. I think I'll say that again. You have the responsibility to rule it even when you don't understand it. As I conclude here this morning, I want to say this. If you were to Google, I Googled what makes a good king. I, I know what the Bible says. There's all, you can study the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel, and I, I know all kinds of things. But just for modern culture's sake... I wanted to Google that. And so I Googled what makes a good king and what makes a bad king. And here is a, an honest summary. I didn't just pick and choose the ones that fit my sermon. But here's an honest, objective overview of what the world out there says that makes a good king and a bad king. A good king, the Bible, or not the Bible, the, the Google says that he is centered and I thought about that. What does it mean to be centered? It means that he's balanced. 
he's, 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 he's centered and he's not all over the place. He's stable and he's balanced. If you're going to get in a fight with someone, you want your weight to be centered. You, you don't want to be leaning out here and vulnerable. You want to be centered and stable. It also says that he is decisive. It says that he lives with integrity. He protects his realm and he provides order. A king who rules over his spirit is providing order and stability. Not all over the place, not way up one day and way down the other. And listen, I understand there are physiological problems that cause that. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the average person that just lives that way and doesn't have to live that way. Those are some things that make a good king. Here are some things that make a bad king. He is selfish. You know, some of you wake up, well, I'm just in a bad mood, so you better just revolve around me. Well, ain't you special? He is moody. He is full of himself. He only believes himself. And this last one, I thought, wow, Lord, this is so profound. He is gullible. He's gullible. Proverbs 29, verse number 12. If a ruler hearken to lies, all his servants are wicked. Now, some of you, you've been in workplace politics before, and you know how everybody's trying to backbite and trying to get get ahead, and what do they do? They start telling the boss everything negative they can about their coworkers so that they can get promoted, and the boss will think everybody else is a a loser and so forth. And you know what? The, the, The boss listens to one person say all of the complaints about everybody else, and then everybody else, one by one, tells complaints about you, and if the boss listens to all of those voices, then everybody he's got is a loser, amen? That means he's gullible. You know what C.H. Spurgeon said? He talked about the blind eye and the deaf ear. You know, there's a lot of things out there about people that may or may not be true, but some of it's perception. And he said, just turn a blind eye, not two, don't, don't close both your eyes. Turn one blind eye and one deaf ear toward all of the things that are negative about people. And then maybe you can handle it in your spirit. You say, well, it's true. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of things that are true that just aren't helpful. <laughs> Does this dress make me look fat? <laughs> How do you answer that question? (laughs) You look great, honey. I love everything about you. (laughs) A bad king is gullible. Brothers and sisters, it is not realistic to expect that every day is rainbows and roses. I'll I'll smile and blink with my eyes while I say that. It's It's not... Life's not going to be wonderful. Every day is not going to be your best day. It's not, you're not always going to be happy. You're going to have a bad spirit. You're going to have times where you're depressed, where you're anxious, you're insecure, you're angry, you're bitter. You're going to have to battle those things. Cities have walls because there are enemies. With enemies come battles. Build up your walls and you won't have as many battles. Yeah, you're going to have battles, but you know, there are some people that they have a major crisis and a major battle about every four or five days. And you know what's going on here? They've not taken the responsibility for their spirit, and they've let their feelings and their thoughts rule them, and so they're vulnerable. Once again, we all have battles, but it doesn't have to be every day. And if we'll build those walls, he 
that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Build the walls. Jesus said it like this in John 14, verse number 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Listen, your heart's going to want to get troubled. It's going to try to get troubled. It's going to get troubled. Don't let it. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Colossians 3, verse number 15. And let, allow it to happen. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. I hope you never forget today's message. You may forget the points and the details, but the message that you are the boss, you are the king of your kingdom, and your kingdom is your spirit, your thoughts, your moods, your feelings, your emotions, your attitudes. We are supposed to take charge. You're the boss. It's your kingdom. Rule it with diligence. What's diligence? Do whatever it takes to get the job done and get it done right. You may have to avoid some things in life that others don't have to avoid. You may have to try to figure out a way to where you can subject yourself to some good godly music. My sister in Idaho, years ago, she put together a CD And it's got all of this soft, sweet melody music without lyrics, just the music, and it is so soft and so soothing. I started playing it this week. I forgot about it, and I found it. It's in my shop, and I got a CD player, and I'm out there working in my shop, and I put that on. And man, I thought, what a difference that made in my spirit. There are things that we can do. Commit our works to the Lord. Start thinking about other people. Whatever it takes, be a diligent ruler and rule over your spirit so that you won't be vulnerable to the attacks of Satan, the sin nature within, the guilt of the past, whatever the case may be. Build the walls and be the boss.